you, Eric. Thank you, worship team, for leading us. Well, I want to start off with a confession when we get into our message for today, because honestly, there's probably not many things that make pastors and myself included more uncomfortable and awkward than one topic specifically, and that is when it comes to finances and money. Now, there's a reason for it, because it's kind of awkward standing in front of a crowd of people talking about something that seems so personal, so intimate, so individualistic, right? The other reason, and probably even the more important reason for me why I get awkward talking about this topic is simply this, because I know that some of you have been hurt by another church or maybe even us when it came to the topic of money and finances. Maybe it's the way that they or us have been handling money, and that's the reason why you're upset. Or maybe it's when they talked about it, you felt pressured or awkward or just not the right way, and you just kind of know that that wasn't the way to go about that. And if that is you, let me just start with an apology. I'm sorry. It was never our intention. But I also ask for a favor, and I really want you to consider this, not to put me and this message for the next 20 to 25 minutes in this box. You know the box? The box there in your mind where you go, okay, here goes Pastor Mark in the chapel, and they're going to talk about money and yada, 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 and you tune out. Because I think we're missing the point when we do that, and I'm going to do my best to explain to you why we think this is important to talk about, why it is actually a vision route that we as a church want to focus on over these next three years, just like we've been talking about throughout this entire series. Because our goal, one of our goals when it comes to Vision 2020 is for you to gain financial wisdom when it comes to it. And so the reason why we wanted to make it a big deal, and we've talked about this, is this something that we really want to focus on? And we said yes, because Jesus himself made it a big deal. I mean, look at this statistic. 11 out of 40 stories that Jesus told during his lifetime were directly about money, possessions, and finances. But not only that, let's look at the whole Bible, and over 800 times, the Bible talks about how we should handle what we should think about when it comes to our money and finances. And so because God made it a big deal, and it's a big deal in the Bible, we wanted to focus on it together with you. Now, maybe you're not a Christ follower, and you're still exploring this Jesus guy, and you want to know why would this ever be a topic at the church well, think about it this way, because it affects our daily relationships in our lives, right? I mean, Dave Ramsey, one of the most recognized speakers on the topic of money and finances, says this. He says that money issues are the second leading cause of divorce in America. What that tells me is that there is a huge heartache in our lives when it comes to this topic because we don't know how to deal with it or maybe we are trying to deal with it but we don't agree and all of a sudden it creates friction and broken relationships. And that's not what God wants for you and for me. Or maybe you're not in a relationship. Well, think about it this way. I think we all can relate because we've all probably either at one point in our life lived paycheck to paycheck or we've had some financial heartaches or didn't know how to use our finances and you know that this causes a lot of anxiety and stress and depression and a lot of sleepless nights as well. That's exactly why we as a church want to look at this topic from a biblical perspective. Not because of anything we want, but truly because our heart is for you to grow and to be able to just look at what the Bible says about it. So what I'm going to share with you is not what I think, it's not what we as a leadership think or the chapel thinks, 
It's truly looking at God's word and saying, okay, God, you tell us where you want us to go, and we will follow. And so that's why we want to focus over these next three years on our, as part of our Vision 2020 of gaining financial wisdom together, going on that journey, learning together. And over these next few minutes, what I want to do is give you a little bit of an insight and a couple of principles that I want to talk about, but there's more, and so you'll continue to hear more about this as we go over our vision goals. But as I start with the topic, I thought it's always good to start with Apostle Paul. I mean, you can never go wrong when you start with Paul, right? So um, he actually gave us some very specific things to think about when it comes to the topic of money, possessions, and finances. And he gives some advice in one of the letters that he wrote to his, to his mentee. His name is Timothy, and so he's the younger person that Paul invested a lot of time in and spent a lot of time in helping him what to do and what not to do and help him to grow and follow in Paul's footsteps. And this is what it says when he wrote to Timothy. He said, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And then he goes on to say, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So I want you to get this right, though, from the beginning. What Paul is not saying here is that money is evil, okay? It'd be easy to make this mistake if you just cursory look over this verse, but that's not what Paul is saying because if I look at the whole context of the Bible, I see a lot of people that are wealthy but are recognized, and because they use their wealth and their opportunities and their possessions for good to make a difference in their community, in the lives of others, and in the church. And so one of those people we're introduced as one of my favorite characters when it comes to that is the person of Lydia. Lydia gets introduced in, the, in Acts very quickly early on because she's one of the first persons that gives her life to Jesus after Paul starts his missionary journey. This is what it says about Lydia. He said this, one of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. So in this one sip of verse, we learn a lot about Lydia one of them is that she's from Tiathira, okay? Tiathira at this time was a metropolitan city, which means it was where life was happening. But not only that, we're also told that she was a merchant of expensive purple cloth. So in other words, she was a fashionista of her day. And so what this, what, but then if you follow the story of Lydia, you see very quickly that, yes, she was wealthy, but man, she made a difference in the lives of people. And actually later we find out that she helps fund and enable a church plant in Philippi that reaches more people. And she allows Paul to go on his missionary journeys and be able to fulfill the purpose that God has called him to do. And I also know in our, in our rows right now, there's people sitting there just like Lydia who may be wealthy, but man, they've really made an impact. And so I don't want us to think about money as evil. In fact, I do want to go back, though, to the verse because it is obviously a clear warning that Paul gives us. And so, but if we look at it closely, we find that there's a little adjective that is added to the word money. And this is what it says. It says that the love of money and the craving of money is the root of all evil. So the point where we, where we cross that threshold is when all of a sudden money and possessions start occupying our mind. And all we can think about is the next thing I'm going to buy or the next thing I'm going to own or what I can do or how much money I have in our bank account or in my 401k statement or whatever it may be. As soon as those starts, um, those thoughts and feelings coming more and more into our heads, that's when money becomes dangerous 
and evil. Because, it, because we're human beings and it leads us down a path that is not healthy because it very quickly, without us even thinking about it, we're starting to focus on our possessions and what we have and how much money we have and put our security and our safety and our trust into that. But that's not God wants from us. God wants from us to focus on him and on him alone and he wants us to trust him with what we have and the possessions that we have and the things that we own he wants us to focus and put our trust in him, not on the things that are around us. And it happens very, very quickly and very naturally to us as human beings. In fact, recently I, I was reading a book from one of my favorite authors, Greg Rochelle, and in one of it he made a statement that really kind of stopped me in my tracks, especially when it comes to this topic. He said this, and let this sink in for a moment. He said, what we worry about most in life usually reveals where we trust God the least. Think about this. The areas in life that we worry most about usually reveals where we trust God the least. Now, I got to be honest with you. My wife and I, we've had plenty of conversations and worries about money and finances and how we're going to pay our bills and all that kind of stuff. And what this verse tells me, what this, what this sentence tells me is that I need to I stop putting my focus and my trust in God and thought about it in my own ways. And so Paul, as he's writing us these words or give Timothy this advice, not only does he show us what the danger is of money, but he also showed us some of the consequences that happens when we don't focus our eyes on God and look at our own interests and the money that we own. This is what it says. It says, they have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Honestly, when I read those verses, my heart broke a little. Because what that means is that there were people back in Paul's day even that made the decision when they could follow the path of money or the path of God that they decided to follow the path of money. And because of that, they traded in things that really didn't matter that were temporary for an eternal relationship with God and with Jesus. They've wandered away. They let the world and the things around them distract them and didn't keep their eyes on God. And because of that, they missed out big time. And I don't want that from you, and I don't think, and I don't want that from my own life either. Let me be a little bit more drastic. What this verse is also saying is that you cannot love money and love God. Now, maybe you're thinking, okay, Pastor Mark, I, I get it, like, but slow down a little bit. This is a little black and white here, right? right? I mean, there's got to be a gray zone in between somewhere. Well, I'm sorry, I, I, it's not me that actually came up with it. It's Jesus himself. Jesus himself in the book of Matthew said it this way. He said, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And then he goes on to say this, you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. It's either or. We need to pick a lane and we need to decide where we want to end. Because money is not about the amount or what we do with it necessarily. It's a hard issue. It reveals very quickly about where our priorities lie and where our trust and our hope and our focus is. And that's why it is important for us, even as a church, to look at it and to together discover what God's word says about it. Now, there's also some good news because we do have a family, even here in our church family from our Sandusky campus, that over the last few years, they've been wrestling with this. They're not rich by any means or such of the imagination. They've got two little kids and so if you've been in that life stage, you know what that means financially even. But they've decided, they looked at this, and they came to us and said, okay, well, we want to put this to the test. We want to see if 
what you're telling us and what the Bible says about money is truly right. And so we're going to make some changes in our life and in our family, even if they're not easy. We're willing to do that to see what happens. And I want to just read to you um, some of the things that they said afterwards, and now they're looking back on their journey. This is what they said. They said, prior to understanding how God intended for us to use his money, there was always a barrier in growing closer to God. We weren't giving, and we believed that we could take better care of our finances than God could. As soon as we put our trust in God and we began to give, we came up with a solid financial plan that put God and blessing others first. We truly had a sense of calmness and peace because we surrendered it all to him. Chapel family, that's why we want to talk about this. That's why we want to make it a big deal because that kind of freedom, that kind of peace is what we want for you and your family. That's the experience we want you to have and the burden to be lifted off your shoulders. And so for the remaining time, what I want to do is together look at three different principles that the Bible tells us when it comes to the topic of money and finances. And the first one is probably the most important one because it truly sets the foundation of everything that we do. And if we get that one wrong, nothing else matters. And so this is what we want to be looking at. The thing I want you to remember is that we need to be good stewards of God's things. Recently, I read in Psalm, Psalm 24, I read this verse. This is what it says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. So when I read that and other verses in the Bible, what it told me is that I've got it wrong when it comes to my house, my car, maybe my boat or my bank account or whatever your possessions are. Because honestly, what this verse tells me is that everything is God's. And so I've got my responsibility wrong. Because in the past, I always thought I'm the owner of those things. But what God's word tells us is that no, you've got it wrong. Everything belongs to God. Our responsibility is to be a steward, or in a more ter term that we use today, is to be a manager. Think about it. If you're the manager of the local, let's call it the McDonald's or Burger King or whatever your favorite restaurant is, you have a different job than the owner, right? Yes, you may have a lot of responsibility and you, need, you have an important job and things don't work well if you don't do your job, but your responsibility is not to make all the decisions. It's truly to ask the owner and find out what he wants and then execute it and then use the resources that he has entrusted you, if it's a little or a lot, to figure out how to do that best. The same is true, the same principle is true in our relationship to God. He's the person that owns it all. Our responsibility is to manage and to do the best job we can following his footsteps. So I want to challenge you this week. Can you do me a favor? This week you're going to have to make some financial decisions, no doubt. There's going to be times in your life where you're going to have to make some financial decisions. You may be sending in a card line ready to swipe your credit card. And just pause for one moment. That's all I'm asking for. And ask yourself this question. Ask yourself, if God's the owner, I'm the manager, is this how he wants me to use his resources? And if it is, great. Swipe it. Go for it. But even if you just have to hesitate for a moment and think, well, maybe that's not quite it, think about that. Think about why. Dig a little deeper to see what God wants you to do with it. 
another thing that my family and I have done to remind us about this principle because it's so easy to forget all the time, so you're not alone, is this, that every time when we make a major purchase or an investment of some sort, so when we got a house or an apartment or a car or something like this, after we receive it, we just take a moment to pause and we say a specific prayer. Not about the words. It's just simply like, so when we got our latest, um, our, our house that we currently live in, and we walked through the house, and we just said, God, thank you so much for this gift. Man, we can't believe it. This is exactly what we wanted. You are amazing. I can't even understand how you did this. But we don't want to forget that it is yours. And God, however you want us to use this, we want to use it for your glory. This is not ours, and we purposefully give it to you because you own it in the first place. Or when we've gotten a new car or something, we always stop and say, no, let's just pray and dedicate it to God and allow him to use it however he wants to. So maybe that's another great way for you to remind yourself of how God is the owner and we are the managers. Another principle I want to look at with you this morning is another one that seems a little odd, but it is something that is completely different than what you're going to hear on TV or on the media or um, that you're going to get flyers in the mail for, and it's simply this, that we need to make every attempt to pay off our debt. Now, unless you're the Amazon, new CEO of Amazon, the chances are that you're going to have to encounter debt sometime in your life, right? I mean, maybe you've bought, bought a house, or maybe you're buying a car, or if you're a student, maybe you're starting to think about college and college debt and all that kind of stuff that comes with it. And what we're saying is that debt is not necessarily bad. Sometimes it's necessary but there's a way that we handle it. And so again, I want to look together at God's word. And actually, in this sense, Solomon, the wisest man ever lived. So usually when Solomon says something, I pay attention. This is what he says in Proverbs. He says, when it comes to the topic of debt, just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. In other ways, other translations actually say it this way. They say that the borrower is slave to the lender. Again, Debt happens, we get that, but what we do with it, we have to understand and go in with eyes wide open that that means we are enslaved. There's a burden that's on our shoulders because of it that we have to carry through life every single day. I mean, just practically think about it. If you have a mortgage right now on your home, well, imagine what it would feel like not having to make that payment every month and you would be completely debt-free. Would that relieve a burden off your shoulders? I know it would for me and my family. That's what God wants from us. That's the kind of freedom that he wants from us. And so if we are indebted, he wants us to pay it off as soon as we can. That's his goal for us. And so even for us as a chapel, we want to help you in your personal life over these next three years to experience that kind of freedom. We're going to help you with resources and opportunities to help you on that journey to make some better decisions maybe that you have made otherwise based of what the Bible says. And so, in fact, you may not know this, but we have a team of volunteers that are really good with handling money and that are just volunteering their time, and they want to help you and encourage you on that journey as well. But one thing we want to do for you today, we want to give you a free gift. It's very simple. It's a resource that actually we as a church have used over the last few years a number of times. It's called Rock Solid Finances. It's completely free. You can download it. It's a video series of uh, financial biblical principles that another church has developed, but they have allowed us to use it. And we've used it successfully with a lot of families within our church family. And it's a way for you to learn 
and go deeper and grow deeper like our vision tells us. And so we give you a couple of options to do that depending on how comfortable you are. One thing you can do is just join us in person for a focus class on this topic on February 27th and March 6th right here now Sandusky campus. It's very easy. It's uh, two Saturdays. Um, we're going to go through the entire material, and our team is going to be here to answer your personal questions and help you personally with any issues that you may be facing because every situation is unique, and we understand that. Or if you're not even comfortable coming into a smaller group setting right now, which we understand too, just text the word WISDOM to the number on the screen, and we'll send you a link to a free resource where you can watch the videos from the comfort of your home. You can watch it at home with your spouse or with your family and talk it through. There's even additional workbooks available at our Welcome Center. Just stop by there, pick them up. It's all here for you because we want you to become debt-free, and we want you to be on that journey to not be enslaved like the Bible tells us to. So that's the... Oh, but let me give you a quick warning maybe before we move on because when you go on a journey of financial freedom... It's kind of like trying to get healthy, right? I think at, probably at one point in life, all of us have tried to be more healthy, and maybe we start running a little bit or starting to think about what we're eating more, and maybe you've hit that point where you're like, okay, but I need a little bit more help, so I'm bringing on a personal trainer. Well, coming to a class like this or engaging with one of our volunteers in our financial discipleship ministry is simply like that. So their role as a personal trainer is to encourage you, right, to keep you on track, to give you best practices, to give you some resources so you make better decisions and reach your goal faster. But think about it. They can work out as much as they want to. Unless you go yourself on the treadmill, you're not going to lose any weight, right? Same is true in this. You're going to have to be faced with some difficult decisions, maybe even have to do some things that you really want to, but understand now, well, maybe I need to wait a little bit. It's going to be a, not an easy process. And I just want to give you that warning up front so you're not surprised later, but in those moments, what we need to do is keep our eyes on the goal and saying, no, yes, it may be uncomfortable right now, but man, there's a bigger goal ahead for me and my family. So that's your personal life. But then we also ask ourselves the question, well, what about the church? What about us as a family? And, you know, if we know that God has given us all these principles and we know that we need to live and follow through with them, well, we want to do the same. We want to lead by example of how we manage our finances. And so, you know, you may or may not know this, but I want to be transparent to you. We do carry a debt as a church right now. But we've made a conscious effort a number of years ago to saying, but we're not going to add any more to it. And so because of God and your generosity, what we're able to do is, for example, open our Paul Clinton campus and build a brand new worship center there, a gorgeous facility, completely debt-free without having to add any additional debt to our current burdens. Those are the kind of things we've done because people from our congregations, this is not something that Eric or Todd or us as a leadership or elders have come up with, but people from the congregation ask us and say, well, are you following these principles? And we wanted to say, yes, it was uncomfortable, it wasn't easy, but man, we made an effort to do that. But as we talked and prayed about this for almost two years now, we've discovered that, man, there's more we wanted to do as a church family. There's more that we wanted to follow those principles and not just take them lightly. And so right now, let me give you an idea. We're paying about $250,000 a year in our mortgage debt to our bank. That's 10% of our annual budget. And honestly, I mean, I don't know about you how you feel, but man, I would much rather see that money go to our kids and our student or to our marriages or to our groups and classes or to our local and global ministry outreach partners 
for all the ministries that are happening here within our building and in our community and around the world instead of having to pay it to a banker. And so we made a conscious choice to say, okay, how can we address this issue? How can we make this happen? And I think you know us well enough to know that we're really not talking a lot about money or making requests or anything like this, but as we strategized over how we can do this and how we can accomplish this goal together, we've discovered something. You may remember that a number of years ago, we had our Vision 2020, and a lot of you, let me just say a word of thanks, to have been generously supporting us through this so God could do some incredible things of life change. In fact, just yesterday, I got an email or a text message with a picture of a young woman and her husband and a baby, and it came from Africa from one of my friends down there, and he said, I want you to know you guys did this, and so I had to ask a few questions, and her story was this. He was, she was a former prostitute, but because of something that we did a number of years ago, she now has a job, supports her own family. The guy on the picture was her husband, and the baby was born yesterday into their young little family. That's the impact that we got to have because we sent some sewing machines down to Africa a number of years ago. That's what I want to see. That's what we as a church want to see more of instead of having money go to our bank. But the strategy that we've discovered when we looked at this on how we're addressing this issue was simply this. If everybody that was able to make a commitment back in 2020 would continue to do it just for three more years, by the end of 2023, we'd be completely debt-free as a church. We'd be able to remove that barrier that we sometimes hit when we try to grow deeper and remove it and then see what God can do with all those resources. And if we do that, let me say this too, then... Our, um, we, would, we would actually save in $750,000 in interest payments to our bank over the years, and we'd be able to invest that kind of money into ministry. That's why we're passionate about it. That's why we wanted to let you know on the journey that we have been. And all we're asking you to do is simply just to pray about this. Pray about it. Just simply ask God, because honestly, this is something between you and him, to say, God, do you want me to get involved in this? And if, how? And if the answer is no, great, then don't do it. But if it is, or if you want more information, I also want you to do some more research. I'm a numbers guy, so I like to know all the details before I make any decisions. And so we've actually created this website called the chapel.family forward slash growing deeper. And on there, you can find all of our messages during this series, even later if you missed one, because we want you to know where we as a church are going. It also has some great resources of videos and of stories of what God has done over the last three years in our church, because sometimes... We get to hear these stories on staff, but you don't always get to hear what God is doing. So we wanted you to know and have that as well. And then on there, too, we've got some of our staff and some of our elders talking about what we want to do and how we want to address this mortgage issue and how you can be involved and answer some of the questions that you may have on this journey. So pray about it. Do some more research. And then simply, if God leads you that way, just start to give. We try to make it as easy as possible for you. All of our giving options now have the option of a mortgage reduction. And so anytime you give to that fund, 100% of what you give goes right back to this mortgage and we'll pay it right off the bank so we have to less and less of interest. That's all we're asking you to do. And honestly, if you have any more questions or if you have any concerns, I've cleared my schedule next week. So if you want to grab coffee or lunch or if you want to call me or stop by the office, love to answer any questions you may know because we're a family together. And so the more we can help you on that journey, understand where we're going, we want to do that. So Feel free to reach out. I'd love to talk to you and give you more information. But I don't want to stop there. I want to look together at just one more principle that I think is an important one for us to look at when it comes to God's Word and how we should treat God's resources. 
And it's simply this. We want us to be known for generosity. I want to be known for generosity. One of the authors said it this way. He said that we're never more like God than when we give. And the reason why we want to be generous is because God is a generous God. I mean, think about it. He created the entire earth and everything in it. I've gotten it. Have you gotten a bill? I haven't gotten a bill yet. So he's a generous God. Not only that, though, he created us human beings as well. And not only did he do that, but he was generous enough to give us free will so we can make our own decisions. We could pick right or wrong. He allows us to do that. And then the most important part when it comes to God's generosity is simply this. He gave his son, the thing, the person that was most important to him on everything, his son Jesus, for you and for me to die on a cross so we can go to heaven because of the mistakes that all of us have made. God is a generous God, and we want to reflect that. We want to be generous because he is generous first. doesn't matter if it's a little or a lot. The amount doesn't matter to God because, remember, he owned it all from the beginning. It's all his anyway, but he wants us to live that out. And then, honestly, I mean, I'm kind of sad sometimes when I talk to my friends who aren't Christians because, you know, they, they probably think of Christians sometimes more of what we're against than for the generosity and the love and the peace that Jesus and God has given us. And I can only imagine what a testimony we can be into a dark world that needs Jesus more now than ever if we're known for that. I want to be known for that, and I challenge my day, myself every day that I can live in that generosity and I can grow in that every day. But I want to end our time together with just one more statement by Andy Stanley. To bring it all together, Andy says this, there's a way to make temporal things to use them for an eternal impact. We can use things that are temporary, like our money and our possessions, that honestly, after we pass away, nobody's going to care about how much we had, and we can have an eternal impact. That's what I want for us as a church. That's why we want to focus on that vision route. That's why we want to grow deeper together as a church family. Not because money is evil, but there's a risk to it when it comes to our possessions if we put our trust into them. I want us to remember that God owns it all, that we need to pay off our debt as soon as we can simply because we don't want to be enslaved to the lender, and that God is a generous God and we want to reflect him in all areas of our life. Money is temporary. Let's have an eternal impact for him. Let me just close us in a word of prayer. Dear God, I thank you for this vision goal that you have given us and put on our hearts today, Lord, to grow closer to you, but to gain financial wisdom at the same time. And God, I don't know what that looks like for each and every one here. I know what that looks like in my life and the changes I need to make. And God, I pray that you'll help me start with myself and my family. But God, I thank you for the path that you have given us, for the principles that your word says about how we should use the resources that you have entrusted us. God, help each and every one of us to be a better manager, not thinking we're the owner, but to use it for your glory, to make an internal impact in the lives of people that we may never even know their names of. But God, I love that we get to be part of that journey and that we can get to grow closer as a church family in our own lives and in the body of Christ together. God, and so as we go from this place, I pray for your wisdom and that you show us the path and what you want us to do. Help you lead the way. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for coming. Our greeters are going to come down on the aisles and dismiss you. If you are interested in baptism, don't forget, C3, Pastor Eric's waiting for you. Answer any questions you may have.
Have a wonderful Sunday.